Hey, it's Jeff, and I wanted to let you know, you'll hear me talk about this a little bit in the episode you're about to hear, but I'm starting a new show this week. It's called The Dungeon Run, and it is a live play Dungeons & Dragons show where I'm the DM. That means I'm the god of the world. I made everything up, and I'm running five players through it. We're playing Dungeons & Dragons live on Caffeine, and it premieres this Wednesday night at 6 p.m. Pacific on caffeine.tv slash the dungeon run. The show will also be available on YouTube and as an audio podcast, but I hope you check it out live on Wednesday night. I think it's going to be really fun. Caffeine.tv slash the dungeon run. All right. Now let's uh let's drop that bass. You know, it's time to begin, and wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, especially if you are one of our geeks and sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run, we're going to be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free thanks to our sponsor this week. Third Love. Third Love brings the show to you. You'll see, of course, the show all about games and their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis. The guy who will hide all your eggs where you'll never find them, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Hello, audience. Another uh, another week, another tragedy. Um, Man, hearts out to uh, everyone in Sri Lanka and the family and loved ones uh, affected. Um, and then maybe also it's like there's not a good way to transition, but also happy uh, birthday, Game Boy. It's, uh, you know, one of those. It's it's called a normal week in our world. Tragedy. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, echo those sentiments, of course. Um, we will persevere as we always do and, and try to have fun. but. You know, it's it's every week, it seems, that we have to acknowledge some horrible thing in the world. Um, but we have we do have a lot of things to talk about. We have a lot of really exciting things, some hints of what's to come in gaming's future in the news. We've got games to talk about. I'm excited. There's going to be a tabletop time segment. We have an awesome guest to do all of this with. You know, the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week... Oh man, I'm excited because DLC stands for dedicated to the lime green console because we have IGN's Xbox editor as well as writer, producer, and regular on Podcast Unlocked. Mr. Brandon Tyrell is with us. Hey, Brandon. (laughs) That was was an introduction. Thank you, sir. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for for being here. Fan of your stuff and and, uh, excited to chat with you about uh, a lot of really cool things, which brings us to the start of the show and story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. 
Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com or by visiting our subreddit. That's 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Or if you're a publisher, sorry if you step on that, but if you're a publisher or PR person in the games industry, you can just release it right after we finish recording an episode of the show. <laughs> yes, we uh yeah. we are we are a podcast perfectly timed to miss <laughs> everything. <a laughs> new week's biggest news stories, but that's okay. We get we get to it just a little late. Uh which we will starting now. Brandon, you yes, are sir. our guest. So you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? I mean, I think it goes without saying that the biggest story from the week was Mark Cerny's comments and the Wired article um, on the sort of information coming out about the next PlayStation. Not yeah, what could it possibly the be called? Five yet. What could they possibly be calling it? It's, he's being so cagey. Maybe it'll be called the Dolphin. Maybe it'll oh, be yeah. called. You know, who knows what it's going to be called? Yeah, Play, <laughs> PlayStation Five. I'm thinking PlayStation pretty, Five. Yeah, pretty safe bet. Yeah. Um, I think you know, obviously, news about a next gen console right now. It, the rumors have have started. We're in this point now in the industry where. Towards the end of every life cycle, you start getting little hints and little like whispers on the wind of what could be coming next. And I actually really appreciate Sony taking uh, the time to just say, hey, this is what we got. This is what it's going to be. Um, You know, there's no branding involved with it yet. There's no obviously no price or release date. But um, what we have is substantial. Actually, we kind of we kind of are getting a more uh, a clearer picture of what uh, we're going to be seeing from Sony. as far as hardware goes for the next iteration. Yeah, and and also kind of uh, reassuring or refreshing to to hear them say it's not this year. Uh, yes. we're, we're not going to be at E3. It's not this year. Uh, but this is what we're working on for the next iteration of the PlayStation. And uh, it was a lot of technical stuff, which is, is pretty interesting. We know mm-hmm. that the uh, GPU is going to be based on uh, Radeon's Navi family. We know it's going to have a Ryzen CPU, uh, lots of horsepower under the hood. It's going to support 8K resolutions, which I guess we yeah. only need new TVs now. I, don't <laughs> I even, guess so, right? I don't know I just, why anyone needs 8K, but okay. I All just right. broke my because, 4K TV in. Like, yeah. just That's why you need 8K, because right. you both already own 4K. Because so. <laughs> Sony has a TV division is why. Yes, that's 8K. probably a really good point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the biggest, I think the biggest bit of information and the kind of the the selling point at least thus far for this system is it's got this sweet new futuristic ssd hard drive now mm-hmm. i've got an ssd hard drive in my pc right now i mean many of us have ssds in our laptops uh ssd is not a particularly new technology but uh consoles don't usually have them because they're more expensive than old uh right. solid state hard drives but uh, excuse me, um, old, um, you know, mechanical H- hard drive. HDDs, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but this one is going to work a little bit differently, evidently. It's got an entire structure built around it to basically reduce uh, load times and access to that hard drive by, they say, a factor of 15, uh, between right? 15 yeah. and 18x uh, speed improvement. And I guess the, the the Wired reporter was given a demo. By the way, this next PlayStation, uh, Mark Cerny says, will be completely backwards compatible with PlayStation 4 right out of the box. That's nice to hear. Um, I think that leads us to a lot of uh, trans-generational releases where games are going to be coming out on both. 
but uh, also the the Wired reporter was given a demo using Spider Man and shown fast travel in Spider Man going from 15 seconds of load time to 0.8 seconds using this new SSD. So, uh, Brandon, the future is load times. Are we? This is what we're excited about is no load times. I mean, I, I guess that's exciting. Yeah, I mean, right off the bat, I, look at the the sort of specs that we're seeing with this thing. Um, position it probably as the most powerful console um, ever made. You know, I know that that's a moniker that the Xbox One X is, is really touting. Um, but if you look at it, sort of what they're giving you, uh, it, it there's this weird sort of place where we're at, where you wonder the next generation of consoles, what are they going to bring to the table? And you know, you can go as far back as the original Xbox and the PS2 and and, and then the Xbox 360 and the PS3. Um, you know, each one of those generations brought something new, like the uh, dedication to HD or sort of the rise of the online infrastructure with Xbox Live and PSN. Um, and these, these like this next one, this next upcoming one, I I really feel like what we're seeing right now is just power. Like it's going to bring into account everything that we already have just just by you know by one point five to two times to three times more powerful um and you're gonna see i I think it's gonna translate into just more quality of life really yeah uh, you know as as we we read in that wired report spider man loading a level in point eight seconds or something like that versus fifteen on a p s four pro um that is nothing to scoff at, and uh, you know you could you sit here and you wonder where is gaming going in the future, and all of these cool little ideas that are coming out, like a PSV uh, the, the VR headset for PlayStation, um, you know that is not very easy to run on on a current PS4. So uh, I'm thinking the next generation, it seems like we are just going to get more raw power to do bigger worlds, more uh, faster loading time, better draw distances. Uh, and then, of course, you know, Mark touched in on sort of ray tracing and 3D audio that'll be coming with a, a PS5 or whatever it ends up being called. Um, and that is just something that is, I think, really, it, it's those small things that you don't realize really make an experience that you need a ton of horsepower to run. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Christian, I think we're, you know, we're in the the era of... Um, these iterations aren't, we've kind of leveled off if you've got the graph uh, for visual impressiveness. I think ray tracing, you really have to go back and forth on screenshots to to really see the big differences. You know, it's not something that is going to gobsmack you. I think it is impressive uh, ray tracing. I think it's, it's, it's exciting that we're going to have all this extra power to push uh, visuals. But you know, I look at a game like Assassin's Creed Odyssey or God of War, and and these games are already extremely beautiful. I don't particularly care about 8K. I think 4K is plenty <laughs> for uh, razor sharp edges on things and and uh, densely packed pixels. But this idea of faster load times, not waiting around, um, I, I can get behind that. It, Christian, do you find that to be exciting enough to to hang a new console generation on? Yeah, I'm excited by all of it. Um, one thing I, we can circle back to this, but one thing this Wired article didn't really touch on is the streaming future, right? The Stadia and what Xboxes, Microsoft are looking to do with um, 
X Cloud project. Project X Cloud, yeah. Project X Cloud. So I think that was interesting. They were talking. Sony was he- sitting there talking hardware. You know, under well, the guess, TV. Before you before you move on that from that too too far, he does have a quote where Wired asked him about cloud gaming, and right. Cerny said, "Cloud gaming will become quote clear as we head toward launch." So right, right. Maybe. So maybe. It's something they've been playing with before it was even necessarily the new hotness, right, with right. Gaikai and stuff like that. But the bulk of this interview was about, you know, the thing that's under your TV. And I think it's all exciting. I, I mean, I, as someone who still doesn't have a 4K TV, um, pushing to 8K, it, it, it makes sense. What what I'm more excited Chris about. Chris is playing that, uh, that Sony Mega Drive uh, on, a, on a CRT. That's uh, you're, you're, <laughs> you're going the opposite direction, right? I mean, some, 40, some, 45 pound TV. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes maybe, I don't know. Um, but I think what I'm more excited about, and this is, I'm sure you can find this every generation where I say something similar to it. Um, I'd rather have solid 60 and 4K than 25 frames per second 8k right like do the thing already like the thing that we've wanted since hd consoles were a thing like 1080p 60 or whatever it is right like lock that stuff down and i want to see that but i also think faster load times are huge i mean it's hard to compare a past gen game running on new hardware to show the load time because great that's spider-man i'd hope it would load faster but how fast as spider-man 2 load on it you know what i mean like because they're going to be pushing all this stuff it's going to be 4k or 8k or the world's going to be bigger and it's going to have ray tracing and this that and the other and we've seen the hits that car um performance that the 2080 ti takes with ray tracing on versus it off like that is intensive and i think brandon is right to say right now it's a lot of brute force to make this stuff work but to your point jeff i i think there is still room for a generational leap in terms of graphical quality graphics look incredible today um, and the games are, are stunning, but that ray tracing epic game Star Wars demo from GDC, I mean, come on, if that's a game and you're able to interact with that or Avengers Endgame, the way Iron Man's suit and all that stuff looks like games don't look that good. And there's room to have it truly be almost identical to what we're seeing in films these days, right? And just right. absolutely blow it out of the water. And I think if you sat down and someone like a trailer for Endgame was playing and then someone handed you a controller and they're like, oh, no, no, that's not the movie. That's the game. You'd be like, oh, damn. <laughs> you know, like there's room to make it better. God of War is sure. incredible, but there's there's still head. Yeah, anytime it's, you know, until we get indistinguishable from real life, until it's the holodeck, there's always going to be room. I'm just, I just feel like it's a bit of diminishing returns at this point uh, until there's really a, a breakthrough. It's not like, you know, 8-bit to 16-bit or even you know, Xbox to Xbox 360. We're, we're, those days are gone where it is just a, you know, a uh, paradigm shift of, of visual quality. I think it's more incremental now. Um, and, you know, we keep hearing how uh, we'll have all this extra power for AI and stuff. And, and those those things don't ever seem to actually manifest. Um, so maybe we'll get room, you know, headroom for that kind of improvement too. Although, like you said, if you're pushing 8K, who, who knows? Um, I'm very, you know, uh, Brandon, you brought up the PSVR. I'm very heartened to hear Cerny mention the fact that the PSVR, the current PSVR headset, will be compatible with this PlayStation 5 or whatever it's going to be called. This next yeah. PlayStation will still support the current headset, which, hallelujah, I mean, I still do want a revision on that hardware, and I hope there's a new version of PSVR by the time, you know, 2020 rolls around and, and this console launches. But he says, quote, um, 
I won't go into details of our VR strategy today beyond saying that VR is very important to us and that the current PSVR headset is compatible with the new console. Love it. Love to hear them say VR is more is very important. A beefier box pushing this stuff is very exciting to me. And I, I think it's going to be really interesting that Sony has put their flag in the sand and said, we're going to make the Ferrari under your television. And Microsoft, although we're, we don't know for sure, but they seem to be saying, we're going to make a different kind of box that is going to be more along the lines of what we know of Stadia to be, where it's going to push a lot of that processing away from under your television and into the cloud and maybe be less expensive and, and, and be a streaming kind of thing. I think for the first time in two generations, maybe more, uh, Sony and Microsoft's consoles will, I think, will be really different. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I, I mean, echoing 100% your sentiment there. It's, I mean, Nintendo has sort of always done their own thing. They've really sort of played outside the box of what we consider a traditional console. And Microsoft and Sony have always been in this sort of arms race about who can make the biggest, fastest, best, hardest hitting experience, um, you know, in their black box. And now it does seem like Microsoft is doing a lot of what, um, uh, it, it actually it's really reminiscent to me of like what Apple was doing for a while, where they're focusing on the ecosystem. They're getting you into their ecosystem, into their walled garden with, uh, you know, Xbox Live, Xbox Game Pass, um, and and all of these other sort of quality of life uh, uh, projects that they they have going. Where Sony is seeming like they're doubling down on power, and that's going to be able to support the PSVR. I think you're totally right. I think we're going to see a PSVR two at some point, um, but I don't know if VR is really as as big, uh, you know, sort of as big as a checkbox on this new console as some people think it is. Hmm. You have to look at sort of the conversion rate, right? I think the PS4 sold something like 90 million units. Um, and the PSVR headset has sold something like 4 million, I want to say. Yeah. So that's, that's about four and a half percent conversion right there. So it's not a huge, uh, part of their demographic, right? It's not a huge part of, um, people who are buying PS4 is converting to the PSVR headset. Uh, but I do think that as these consoles get bigger and better and PS5 is, is sort of certainly positioned to be the, 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 most powerful console ever maybe you start seeing psvr headsets bundled in with some of these consoles uh, and really sort of ushering that age in um whereas microsoft i think goes the other way and it's an interesting place it's sort of an interesting position to be because they're making an infrastructure that allows you to play an xbox one game on basically any device and yet they're still in the console business so what does that mean you know yeah yeah uh, it's going to be very, very interesting the, the next two years as these consoles ramp up and come out. <clears throat> um, but I, you know, I'm from my perspective, I'm always that guy that wants the Ferrari. You know, I get very excited right. about having <laughs> the biggest, fastest, beefiest machine and uh, doing everything locally. I, I'm I'm pretty stoked about Cerny's discussion here and and uh, Sony's headspace with regard to this box because there's certainly a lot we still don't know and and a lot that can change and a lot that will be revealed but as it stands now this this sounds like something that's going to get me really really excited and i think it's going to be interesting to see how many of the games that we know about the uh 
you know, the Death Strandings and the Ghost of Tsushima's and the Last of Us 2's that what, which of those games are going to be PS5 launch titles, which of those games are, you know, are going to be sort of these cross-generational releases that Nintendo seems to do a lot of. How is that all going to play out? Uh, I think that's going to be really interesting from a strategic standpoint. Um, So, yeah, a lot, lot, but evidently we won't hear much more about this Right, it's calendar year, so it'll be it, it'll be Microsoft's E three to to win, I think, which is essentially yeah. Like there's there's a big sort of vacuum right now. Sony not having a, a keynote conference uh, that's really that's really leaving just the table open for Microsoft to either bring it or not. Right, and, and yeah. Microsoft in the past has done really well, um, and I've I mean you know I, I'm. Microsoft Xbox ecosystem, sort of my main ecosystem, where I play most of my third-party games. Um, so I, I have I have a lot of love for Microsoft, and I always see their conferences as something that, um, oh, okay, yeah, they did really well. They you know set the boundaries, but I think this year is the year where they really need to step up and say, hey, we've got what is it, twelve studios, twelve first-party studios now. Um, you're going to hear from them. You're going to see what we're working on. You might get maybe some sort of small tease about the future of the Xbox console. Um, but if they don't wow in the way that Sony wows, when they come on stage and have an orchestra playing the opening of God of war, as Kratos steps out of the shadow, like <laughs> they need, they need that moment. They need that, that Kratos moment. And I'm, I, I hope it happens. I really do. I think it's going to be a really exciting year just because the balance has been all shaken up. Yeah. Well, they're certainly posturing that they're going to be coming large. You know, you hear uh, Twitter comments of how Microsoft is coming large this year. So I'm excited. We'll see what they let's see what they do. Christian Spicer, what is your story of the week? We kind of hinted to it uh, just a little bit ago, but and we've rumored it, rumored it. We had uh, guessed this would happen and rumors had been persisting about it, but it's now officially announced um, that Xbox Game Pass Ultimate which is the bundle of Game Pass and Xbox Live Gold. <clears throat> Excuse me. I had speculated earlier that they would make gold, gold would kind of go away and Game Pass would be their main thing. Uh, they didn't do that, or they haven't done that yet, but they bundled them together for $15 a month, which is about $5 cheaper than paying for each service individually, assuming you don't find them on sale. Like you can often find like a year for $40 or whatever. Um, but the MSRP rate of each. And, you know, I think it makes a lot of sense. I, I, I still think that these two services becoming one service makes the most sense because having a divided ecosystem among your two things where it's like they're both air quote giving you games is a little odd <laughs> it's Isn't like it a, weird that they didn't just do that i mean maybe yeah. they didn't want to tick anybody off that would just view that as a price increase for xbox gold right but uh i mean i i, I guess if you go wait hey well, but we're giving you all these games some people would still be like all i want to do is play online with my friends for the games i purchase don't charge me don't force me into it but it sort of feels like that's what this wanted to be is these are both we're changing the price but you're getting both of these and it's one thing just feels like a weird half step i think it's a step toward the next you know scarlet or whatever it is like this is the bridge to get us there they have this and the next console comes out it won't have live it you know it will have whatever its online passes that will include game pass it'll include access to your games anywhere 
Um, so like multiplayer, all of that stuff. And I think the idea of Xbox Live Gold will be something that stays with the Xbox One, but disappears going forward. But, you know, as much as experts go, I think we have the Xbox expert on the show to help us speculate. So <laughs> Brandon, true. I'm curious how oh, much man. I got wrong. <laughs> that's a, that's a, a big shoes to fill. Um, I think you're 100% right. I think that this is a good sort of half measure step in order to getting everybody into one easy monthly payment or yearly payment. Like you said, um, if you're a frugal shopper and you shop around, you can find Xbox Live for cheaper than the MSRP. Um, But bundling both of these things together is sort of doubling down on that ecosystem that I was talking about earlier that they're trying to create, which is uh, if you are part of the Xbox family, you not only get access to you know all of our live services, but you also get this amazing library of games. And, and honestly, I think Game Pass is probably the best deal in gaming right now. Yeah. Um, For sure. Yeah, man. It's yeah, amazing. It, it really it's fantastic. Is. And I think, Christian, you're 100% right when we say that this is going to turn into just Microsoft's standard table offering, right? Where you pay... 20 bucks a month and you get live and you get game pass and you get, um, you know, mixer or whatever else they want to throw in with that. But you're also right in that this is obviously going to be seen as a sort of price gouging attempt. Um, people (laughs) just sort of by nature fear change. Um, and it's totally understandable and I get it, but I know you guys both remember when they announced the Xbox one and it was online only, and you had to check in once a day and there were riots in the streets and people were up in arms. Uh, pitchforks and torches and the whole nine yards so i think what we're going to see is that sort of gradual shift to them creating a service that incorporates all this and yeah it might be a little more expensive but um you know as we definitely see in this generation the xbox one is now closer to what it was that they first showed off being Mm -hmm. an online box um and that sort of gradual gradual shift from Hey, this is your standard console. It plays physical media. It's yours. Do whatever you want with it. To that sort of like really baked in, uh, that baked in um, box with live service and ecosystem. Like that is now closer to what they announced originally. So I think this gradual shift that they're doing is sort of like dragging everybody into the future, whether they like it or not. Um, but they're doing it in a way that isn't just super like over the top right like baby steps (laughs) yeah you can't just walk into a room and be like listen everyone this is the way it's going to be uh you you really got to take your time and well you can can if you have the courage of your convictions which i Mm -hmm. feel like i feel like they they were just ahead of their time they really were if if that was announced i mean it's basically what this console generation is going to be and they were just a little early there and they just didn't have the courage of their convictions they didn't have the thing that apple has where apple goes we're taking away the headphone jack. And everybody goes, no, it's the end of the world. And they go, <laughs> we don't care what you think. You're going to you know? buy it anyway. Yeah. 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 And so, I mean, if not that I want to, you know, empower giant corporations to dictate my life, but right. <laughs> I think if Microsoft had just had the courage of their convictions and said, no, this is the thing we're making. I understand it's frustrating. And some people it's going to be, you know, not as easy as it could be. And there's people in parts of the country that are going to yada, yada, yada. But this is the thing we want to make. I think ultimately they would have would have done better this generation than they did, which was sort of like this weird half messaging and we're pulling stuff out. We're reorganizing and halfway through we got this new version of the box that doesn't really have the stuff that we said it was going to. It's just it's been, I yeah. think, you know, unfortunate. I think the Xbox One's a great console and I, I love playing on mine, but it 
they could have really been pushing the industry forward instead of getting really scared and backtracking on all that. I don't yeah, think they I, would have done better this gen. I love courage and your conviction and stuff like that. But I think the bigger problem that Microsoft had when they made that announcement is they didn't have the answer for why. They weren't able to explain why that was better for consumers. It was like, we're making these changes and you have to check in once a day. And everybody's like, what about sharing games with my friends? And they were like, we'll talk about that later. We're going to think of something. (laughs) What they needed to do was have the the like Crackdown 3 or whatever game they were going to do that use the cloud ready to rock and show you like, this is what we can do by using the cloud. And this is what games are going to be. Instead, they were talking in vague notions about someday it's going to be like that. Right. Uh, yeah. So you're you're absolutely right, Christian. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I 100% agree. I think they if you if you posture something as this is better for everyone, you have to show to, you have to show your work, right? You yeah, have to prove right. why. Uh and they didn't really have an answer for that and if it's whatever you want to call it, first party exclusives or uh quality of life increases through, you know, new apps or or the ecosystem that'll just make your life easier, that's one thing. But like Christian said, like they didn't they didn't have that answer. They didn't, they didn't have anything to say other than, hey, we have a really cool idea, and maybe they are smarter than everyone in the room, right? Like Maybe <laughs> yeah. they knew ahead of time because slowly but surely, we are moving toward the vision that Microsoft laid out back in, God, what was it, 2013, 2014? Um, we're, we're getting there. And um, I think that this new generation is what they needed when they revealed the Xbox One, which is uh project x cloud like yeah hey you you own a microsoft console all your games that you play on your console you can play on your phone too like that is that is very cool um they need they need stuff like that well to that end uh we also heard about a new version of the xbox one Mm -hmm. s this week called the xbox one s all digital edition uh it's going to fit on the box somehow, I think. Uh, <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. Very it long. will fit on the box because the thing's not any smaller than the one with the disc drive. <laughs> the box is the same size. Yes, this yeah. is the much-rumored discless version of the Xbox One S uh, that you will just get all your stuff from the cloud. Uh, it will be released on May 7th at the MSRP of $249.99, so 250 bucks makes it uh, 50 bucks less than the standard Xbox One S <clears throat> and uh, it will come with Forza Horizon 3, Minecraft and Sea of Thieves uh, which if you bought them all retail would cost you about 120 bucks. No. So but <laughs> right? if you bought them for $10 a month it would it would be basically yeah. free. Nobody is buying those games retail right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, you're also getting Xbox Game Pass for 3 months at a buck. Which all so, those games are in. It's so which all those games I, are in. I, I so, yeah. keep, it's so weird. I don't I know. get it. I feel the exact same way. I I've I have had long, intensive sit down, <laughs> brain melting think sessions about what this what is this who is this console designed for? You know? Yeah. Um and I still don't have a great answer. Uh, you can you can sort of you can walk yourself there if you really do some mental gymnastics, but um I don't I don't know either. It's $50 cheaper than the Xbox One S, which is great, except the Xbox One S is perpetually on sale for $50. <laughs> uh, with like four games. With four, yeah, if, game. you, if you go to the Microsoft Store right now, I think you see, um, and I'd, I'd have to double check on this, I, I, the prices fluctuate pretty often, um, but there is a Fallout 76 bundle that I 
is at least 250 if not 200 I know that they're on deep, deep discounts right now, which might speak more to Fallout 76 than the Xbox One. Um, but you can, you can right now buy an Xbox One S for cheaper than the Xbox One S All Digital Edition, Weird, which doesn't, doesn't really make sense. And uh, I actually wrote this story for IGN. I, I, I was following the news, and I reached out, and I asked them for a comment about... Hey, Larry Herb, uh, you know, Xbox's Major Nelson, uh, had said that this is priced to be the competitive cheapest version of the Xbox One if you want to buy it. But the Xbox One S is on sale right now. And they replied back that, you know, standard MSRP pricing puts it at the cheapest position. <laughs> uh, so what that tells me, just this, you know, covering this beat for so long that they are trying to sell backorder uh, or their stock of their Xbox One S bundles. And once those are sold out, the Xbox One S will go back to its original pricing and the all digital version will be the cheapest. But again, so late in the console's life cycle, I'm curious what kind of strategy that is. Yeah. And they're obviously smarter than I am. They know what they're doing, but I, I just, I can't sort of wrap my brain around it's, it. It's weird because it offers you nothing except reduced price. That is the only thing. It's less convenient, right? Because you don't have the option to put a disc in. Yes. My current Xbox doesn't not connect to the internet. Right. right. (laughs) It still does. Yeah. It does less things than the other one does. So it's, it's inherently less convenient. And so literally the only draw to it is like, Oh, well I don't actually need that. So it would be nice to spend a little less and not get the thing that I don't actually need. But if if it's not dramatically less, or as you said, the discount that you already get, yeah, it's actually more. It is. It is. Uh, it's a strange thing. I, I sort of applaud the notion of this to, as moving into an all digital world and and sort of uh, breaking the ties to discs. I know a lot of our audience doesn't like that. I get emails all the time of people who don't want to lose the physical media, but sure, I personally yeah. don't care. I I want fewer things in my life i'm the uh, same way house. all my all my content is digital anyway and that's like, why I, rare, you both bought, I rarely buy physical you both bought psp goes back in the day also <laughs> <laughs> well i'm or not what? i'm not insane <laughs> <laughs> this thing this thing needs to be 150 at thanksgiving right like some huge blowout yeah. uh, or something then it makes sense but also for me personally it's not just you can't play Xbox One discs in it. The Xbox One S is a heck of a bargain uh, 4K. Blu-ray play, yeah. Yeah, yeah 4K, you're right. HD, whatever they're called. It's a great um, point. And it can't do that. I swear, this thing has to have, it's just black electrical tape over the disc slot, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. did, you guys, did you guys see the trailer? It was very self-aware. They, they released a official trailer from Microsoft, and it's a couple of actors just saying, they told us to make a discless Xbox drive, and we didn't think it was possible. Like, no, it is. Go do it. And they just literally, <laughs> in Photoshop, remove the disk drive from the, the console. And they're like, that's genius. Do it again. <laughs> it's, that's funny. It's, at least it's really self-aware. Yeah, I, I, I applaud companies that can kind of, you know, take it out of themselves sometimes. But, but also, again, like, the truth of that is you got to go like, well, um, <laughs> yeah. the, the thing you're making fun of is the truth, actually. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. a little bit of a problem. Uh, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Stranger than um, fiction. <laughs> so my story of the week, I mean, PlayStation 5 is feels like the story of the week, but I am very excited about this. Actually, I'm surprised, Christian, you didn't go with this one as your story of the week because I we have been talking all week about it privately. Uh, Capcom has announced officially 
They're in the mini nostalgia business, just like everybody else. Hey. We have had mini Super Nintendos, mini Nintendos, mini Genesis I, mini, you know, everybody's doing minis. We got a mini Commodore 64, I think. There's a mini Atari 2600. Capcom's like, yeah, we didn't make a console, but we made a lot of beloved arcade games. <laughs> and they're in it, man. They are putting out this Capcom arcade mini controller, which which is look, not mini. It's no, it's a full size <laughs> controller. The mini part is that it doesn't have a computer. It doesn't have a console that you plug it into. It doesn't have a anything. It's just the controller. But it is, yeah, pretty big two player stand up arcade controller. Um, the big, uh, you know, the big buttons and the big joystick. Like Altawana parts, wherever you say that, like it's yeah, like a real that. deal that's, that's arcade cabinet. Um, <laughs> Sanawa, Sawana, I don't know. But like, Sanwa? yeah, I don't know. The real deal, eight way directional gate, awesome buttons. And to top it all, it says Capcom. <laughs> it works in the form of Capcom, evidently. Yeah. It is form of Capcom. Uh, it, it has got the CPS1 and CPS2 games, 16 pre installed games. So here's the idea this thing, you buy this big honking controller that it's a, it's two players standing side by side. So imagine, you know, you're playing Street Fighter or something in the arcades. It's like somebody ripped out just the control part and you plug it in with an HDMI cord into your television. So you don't need anything else. You don't need to plug it into it. It's not a controller for a home console, although it'd be great if it could also be that. Um, but you just plug it with an HDMI cord into your television, and now you've got these 16 old CPS-1 and CPS-2 arcade ROMs. Now, CPS-1 and CPS-2 are the a sort of classic 90s uh, Capcom games like the Street Fighter series, uh, Aliens vs. Predator, Darkstalkers, Final Fight, Ghouls and Ghosts, uh, Captain Commando. 16 of them are, are on this thing. It's got a uh, onboard Wi-Fi uh, um, uh, capability so you can upload your scores to global leaderboards that they're going to have i think this is really cool the, the not really cool part is the price it is a 260 dollars bad boy but it, you know it's 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 big also christian pointed out that it looks like you stand uncomfortably close to each other when you're playing two player games. <laughs> or if you're sitting on a couch it's like we're it's We're a holding social lap. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Uh, Brandon, what do you think of this thing, man? It, it's, uh, I think there's something really cool about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I love retro. I love playing. I mean, I, I have games that I grew up with that I would kill to be able to play conveniently without having to pull out my original NES or my original SNES. And this seems to like, this, this fits that bill. Having said that, there's no way in hell I'm paying $260 for this. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's a very cool idea, and I applaud Capcom for doing it. Um, I, I, I really wish that more companies would sort of honor the, the fine tradition of video gamedom uh, by you know going back into their records and, and pulling out some, some of their early hits. And there are some, some real cool games on Strider and Ghosts and Ghoulies. Oh, dude, or Ghosts Strider? And Ghosts. Uh, Strider alone made me go, oh boy. Uh, yeah. 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 Street game. Fighter 2. I mean, that was, God, I cut my teeth on Street Fighter 2 at local arcades for years. Um, sure. Having said that, I love There's a lot of missing of games in yeah. the CPS2, uh, you know, Pantheon that I would like. Obviously, it doesn't sound like they got any of the sort of Marvel licensees. Right. Uh, so none of the Marvel versus Capcom games. Uh, there's no Alpha. There's no Street Fighter Alpha. Uh, titles which why not um 
what, what are there any games that you would wish were on this thing? Not particularly. I I, I mean, I Capcom was always sort of great at what they did, but I uh, their main their big hitters like Street Fighter Two being on here and Strider and those are the games that I really played. Um, Alpha would be huge because that's more the sort of the tournament style that you see at arcades where everyone lines up and puts their quarters down. Yeah. Um, but there's a game that I loved called Dungeons and Dragons Tower of Doom. Oh yeah, it was a CPS two game that's not going to be on this thing uh, that I wish for, but it's pretty obscure and I'd probably a hard license for them to also get. But man, how long until somebody hacks this thing and you can put Mortal Kombat on it and God about, knows what it's you can put mayhem minutes. on this thing, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I agree. Yeah, this, uh, this, yeah, this this thing is great, but it's gonna. It's going to be the version of the product that you wanted in about a half hour after it releases. <laughs> right. right. It's, uh, yeah, Not I think that it's we could on. Own that. Not at all. <laughs> it's, it's expensive, but it has to be for like good fight sticks are expensive. So if they release the cheap version of this with cheap sticks and buttons, people would be like, oh, Capcom cashing in on the whatever. Um, that's kind of a, a you know, dang if you do, dang if you don't situation. I think 16 games is criminally, criminally low. Only one version of Street Fighter where Capcom was, you know, there were a, a million different versions of Street Fighter 2. Like, put them all on. I think That's- there's two. I think there's two on it. I think there's Hyper Fighting and straight up tree fighter two okay that's all of them they did it uh <laughs> <laughs> um and then also the stuff i don't know if you guys have read about the emulation uh that this thing is using with fb alpha which is a free emulator that says you can't use it for commercial purposes and the last time i read about it apparently capcom kind of licensed with one of the creators of the emulator but not all of them. And there was like hubbaloo about that. I think that that side of this stuff is really interesting. And then the other thing I think is interesting is that a lot of these games are single player games. And this is, it's a two, they're, they're connected. Like yeah. how do you play one player with the other side? Just like dragging on your couch. Like I don't, <laughs> I, I love yeah. the idea of it, but I, I don't understand its execution or, or who it's for until it's, hacked and then it's it's the cheap way to get a two-player fight stick for the cabinet you're building at home or something yeah. you know like to, to me this this is aimed directly at guys our age right or oh girls, sure just people 21 who... <laughs> <laughs> yes. oh wow <laughs> uh no it's it's aimed at people who remember playing street fighter 2 or right. you know and really want to have your buddy over have a beer play some street fighter 2 um and then you know, you go home and you do your, you get back to your life. Uh, I don't know that this is going to be super successful. It seems like that is a niche demographic. Like that is a very small sliver of people. And if you compare this to like the mini NES, which comes with not, you know, only controllers, but hardware and 30 games of which there are the legend of Zelda and super Mario three and donkey Kong, like in this sort of, Boutique. And Street Fighter 2. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> In this sort of boutique uh, um, service that they're offering with like a little slice of nostalgia, like you really got to come strong, I think, because like we're all sitting here talking about it and how cool it is, but are any of us really going to pay $260 for that experience? I, I don't I don't know. I want one. I don't not want it. Sure, but do you want to pay, spend $260 on one? No, I don't yeah. I don't want to spend the, the $260. I also, it, it just seems massive. And I don't know where I even put it when I'm not using it. You right. know what I mean? Like it, 
just the storage of this beast alone feels weird. It goes and in the I, closet with your rock band drum kit yeah, and all your plastic exactly. guitars. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I like that it exists, I guess. Cool. It's very cool. But yeah, again, I, I don't, I think either the price point needed to come down or they needed to offer more for what they were trying to sell. Yeah. Um, and Jeff, as you said, licensing can be, you know, a real problem for stuff like this, especially, um, I mean, you had mentioned the Dungeons and Dragons Tower of Doom. Like some of my favorite games were uh, Dungeons and Dragons, I have the Beholder, or, mm. you know, who knows who owns the license to that these days. Yeah. So, those things are real murky waters from the, yeah. And you, you know, brought up a great year. point with Marvel as well. Like, who knows what's going on with that whole situation now that Disney's involved? Yeah, MVC two would be a huge draw. Well, they're conspicuously absent, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, it's you got to feel like there's something going on there. But you know, it's so cool getting Darkstalkers on that thing. So that's rad. Uh, as you said, Strider is cool. I think there's it's some... the only play. I don't think Alien versus Predators ever come home. Uh, um, yeah, I think it's and interesting. You know what? Honestly, one of the things that got most me most excited because there is a two player, uh, you know, two sticks on this thing, Puzzle Fighter. Puzzle Fighter would be a blast to play like that. Yeah, you know? I actually owned a Puzzle Fighter arcade cabinet for a time, wow. and that was a lot of fun. But um, you know, this is obviously the cheaper version of that. But again, <laughs> right. yeah, I, I just there are some things missing that you would think like no brainers, you know? Right. All right. Well, uh, we got we got lots more to talk about, but let me thank our sponsor, which is Third Love. I'm always so excited when uh, we are sponsored by Third Love, mostly because my wife is excited <laughs> because she has uh, fallen in love with Third Love. Uh, it's her third love behind me and the kids, I guess. Ha, let's see what we did. Uh, oh, it, third Love is a bra company, uh, but they're not just any bra company. They have sort of reinvented bras. They are what my wife has now decided is her favorite bra. Uh, she doesn't want to wear any other kinds of bras. They're, they're way more comfortable than any other bra she's ever had. Uh, they come in more sizes than most other brands. Uh, they offer more than 70 sizes, including their signature half cup sizes. Most, most bra companies don't even make half cup, but what, uh, what third love discovered is that most women or up to 50% of them, uh, a lot of women don't fall into normal bra sizes and end up getting an ill-fitting bra that is uncomfortable and and makes them unhappy. So they added new sizes. They added these half cup sizes and they made it so much easier to get your correct fit. They have a 60 second app called the fit finder. It's uh, it's online. You just, uh, you answer a few quick questions and then you are going to get a bra that will fit you and be more comfortable. They said over 12 million women have taken the Fit Finder quiz to date. And that actually helps them make it better because they use that data to, you know, find out what works and what doesn't and, and uh, iterate and improve the quiz. It's actually fun. It takes less than a minute and uh, it helps you identify your breast size and shape and find styles that fit your body. Uh, now they officially carry, by the way, 78 bra sizes, which is pretty cool. And they have a guarantee, a hundred percent fit guarantee. Every customer has 60 days, every customer has 60 days to wear it, wash it, put it to the test. And if you don't love it, you return it. And then third love washes it and donates it to a woman in need. So that's pretty great. I mean, even if you end up not liking that product, you've actually helped a woman in need by ordering it. That's pretty amazing. So, um, 
returns are, are free and easy, super simple. Uh, and you are guaranteed to have uh, the most comfortable bra you'll own. As I said, my wife loves it. She has talked to me multiple times about how great it is. And I keep going, honey, can you just come on the show and talk about it? Because I'm the wrong person. It's you. She's like, eh, I got stuff to do. <laughs> anyway, so uh, Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering our listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash DLC now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash DLC for 15% off today. T-H-I-R-D-L-O-V-E.com slash DLC. Time to talk about the games that we have been playing this week. Brandon, uh, you've got quite a list. Where do you want to start? Uh, just a great question. Um, so I've actually, uh, I've been playing a lot of uh, roguelites these days. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there's something about, you know, when you get to a certain age, you don't have the time to sit down and play video games for four hours straight. Like, we all wish we could, but uh, I've really been enjoying a lot of really good roguelites. Um, Slay the Spire, in particular, has been that game is oh my goodness, crack! That it's game crack. is so good, and I finally beat it the other day. I wow. finally beat I... like there's a boss, and then getting to the boss is not the hard part. Beating the boss after the boss is got to be one of the most satisfying experiences I've had in a long time. But yeah, um, you know, I, I, I like to play these kind of games because a, they always change every time, every time you, uh, you jump into a new game, it's a new experience. Um, you maybe, I mean, I'm still finding things like this fire that I haven't seen. Um, and B there's a, there's a sort of meta layer of strategy and tactics over top of it, uh, where it, once you play it, you gain a little bit of knowledge and then the next time you play it, you get a different experience, but you still have that knowledge. And I think I have some like 90 hours played in Slay the Spire alone. And, and it's just, it's such a great game, but I've been playing a lot of stuff like, uh, Darkest Dungeon, another great roguelike game. Um, even stuff like Heatsink or FTL, which in, in Into the Breach, both from the same creator. Yeah. Um, I've been playing a lot of Battle Brothers as well, which uh, is a little gem that not a lot of people know about. But you're essentially a mercenary company, and you travel, uh, you travel the overworld, just basically taking jobs from people, and then going into tactics-based, you know, turn-based combat with your your group and inevitably someone loses an eye or a guy is 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 wounded and and you, he needs to go into reserves and now you need to go to a town and like dredge the <laughs> like dredge the channel and see if you can find somebody who can fill a space for a couple of weeks um oh this is yeah. interesting i don't know this game battle brothers is what we're talking about i'm looking at it on steam yes uh, it it looks like a uh, sort of a uh, fantasy or medieval uh setting uh, and you've got uh armies and you're doing sort of army v army fights is that right yeah yeah essentially you you are you know sort of skulking around the world in this mercenary company and your goal is just to make money it's it's you have to make enough money through jobs to keep your uh your 12 person army fed keep them paid keep them happy um and then 
you know, as things, it, it starts really simple, like, oh, there's wolves in the woods and people are disappearing. And you're like, well, hey, I can solve that for you. Uh, and then it ramps up into large sort of geopolitical politics and war, or there's an invasion of orcs or the undead have risen. You sort of all have to band together and, and, and fight off this this big world threatening event. Um, but it's it's a lot of fun and it's something that you can play for like an hour at a time. And I really appreciate that these days. Similarly to that, like uh, Dead Cells, which I think is just one of the greatest games ever made. Um, Dead Cells is fantastic and I can play it for an hour and, uh, you know, then I die and I'm like, well, that sucked. But uh, next time I'll do better. Um, you know, ga- games like this are, are where I am really finding sort of that <laughs> that intersection, that crossroads of like real life and video game uh, uh, enjoyment, like that hobby and, and my real life. They, they're they're allowing me to sort of play uh, on my own terms. And I really appreciate that. That side of that, I've been playing a lot of Sekiro as well because that game is just good. Well, let's talk about that because Christian and I both have stayed away from that game. Uh, really? Okay. Yeah, I know. Yes, we hear it a lot. Uh, no, no, we... no, no, no. It's totally <laughs> like these are not games for everyone. Uh, From Software makes niche games. Yeah. Well, to and, your and... earlier point, Brandon, where it's, I was very interested by it, I liked Bloodborne a lot and dabbled in some of the other Souls games, and then I forget if it was IGN's review or where I was reading it, but if someone was talking about their love of the game and how satisfied they were after taking down a boss after six hours. Yeah. And I was just like, I I want to, but I can't. Yeah. I hear you. I a hundred percent hear you. If you were reading IGN, that was my review. I actually reviewed Sekiro. Um, There is that sort of underlying um, DNA in from software games where it's less about everyone thinks, everyone thinks from software games are hard. And they are, they, they definitely are hard, but they're not hard to be hard. You know what I mean? They are uh, hard in order to give you a feeling of satisfaction in overcoming an obstacle that otherwise you would not be able to overcome without putting in that sort of dedication and time. And that's, that's something that I think we just as humans can all appreciate. Um, and so with Sekiro, I found that I also reviewed Bloodborne, similarly to Bloodborne, there is that feeling of like you really are just banging your head against a brick wall for hours and hours at a time. And then it just clicks and you're suddenly you're like, oh, uh, it, you're like Neo, you're like Neo reading the Matrix. It all just makes sense at some point. Um, and when it clicked for me in Sekiro, uh, it was really satisfying. But you are definitely right that that is a game that requires dedication to learn its new sort of um it's new fighting system. So it's all very heavily based on parries and counters and blocks. And it's, it's a slog. I'll be honest. Like the first couple hours are really hard to get into. And when I was playing it at first, I was like, man, I think I, I think I prefer Bloodborne because I can at least I get into a fight and I can do whatever I want. And with Sekiro, that feeling was, wasn't so much there because it requires you to get into this sort of rock, paper, scissors, counter, parry, dodge um, fight system. But once it clicks, like, man, that is so engaging to 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 walk up to this 50-foot-tall behemoth monstrosity. And you're like, all right, well, I know how to beat you. It's just, am I good enough to do it? And eventually, over time, you know, the answer is always yes. <laughs> Not with me, but maybe. <laughs> I saw an interesting... Uh tweet i think it was this week or maybe last week uh, and i retweeted it um where somebody was comparing it to almost to a rhythm game with a boss yes. fights yes. uh are a rhythm game and um 
I I got into it a bit with people online and just sort of like, I just am not interested in that. It just makes it feel a little rote and mem- memorized. And there are plenty of games that I do like. I, I like rhythm games, for example, but I don't know. It just may, it just, there's so much to play right now and so much other things to do. I, I, I don't feel like I'm missing out. I usually have pretty intense FOMO when people mm-hmm. are so effusive about games. The water cooler moment. Yeah. Yeah. This one, I, I, there's just been nothing. We've had multiple guests come on and talk about their love for this game and <laughs> none of it is swaying me this time, but that's, you know, that's fine. Well, that's a great thing is like you nailed, you hit it on the, you hit the nail on the head when you said we have so many things to play. Like there is a game for everyone right now. Right. You can play whatever you want. There's 20 games for everyone. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Which sort of dials back to what I was talking about, about roguelikes, which I like games that respect my time. Um, And I'll be honest, had I not been assigned the review of Sekiro, I probably wouldn't be done with it by now. But, um, you know, when you're assigned a game to review, it's the next 70 hours of your life are getting this game done and getting a review written by the time embargo uh, is up. Um, And I think that sort of, uh, baptism by fire kind of like real intensive head down experience uh it, it's really really beneficial for a from software game because um it's just natural that we lose our muscle memory or we lose our uh our our sort of knowledge that we gain while we're playing these over time and you're right there are very many sections where it does feel like a rhythm game where uh hey a big attack is coming and that big danger sign flashes above the guy's head and you're like all right i know i need to dodge parry or counter this in some way and that is just learned muscle memory so if you don't have the time to sit down and invest in this it can be daunting and and, and i i totally agree that they're almost they're not worth the experience unless you really love what you're doing um, but if you sit down and you're like, okay, I'm just going to dedicate the next week of my life to playing Sekiro or the next week of my life to playing Bloodborne, um, I think there's some of the most satisfying games that you can play. Well, you know, I like you said, uh, Christian, there are uh, there are too many games, and I missed the opportunity to do this. Too many games. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so good. Never want to miss an opportunity to say there are too many games. Too many games. <laughs> hey, there you go. Uh, but yeah, and that's what's great. Games for everybody. Games for everybody. Uh, I'm definitely with you though on the rogue lights. Um, like I said, I love I love Slay of the Spire. I had a I had a a, a brief flash in the pan affair with Darkest Dungeon, but oh, she is a, you're a brave she's a man. fickle minx. Yes, and, she uh, is. <laughs> yes, and I didn't like how it made me feel after a while. I'm like, this is just it's there's just- no way. There's it's no way for me to fun. play it. Yeah. <laughs> There's no way for me to play it well enough that awful doesn't happen. Yeah. So I'm just it's just like waiting for the awful to happen. And, then and I, I, I really appreciate the beginning of that game says, Hey, Darkest Dungeon is not a game about winning, or I'm paraphrasing here. I don't remember yeah. what it exactly says, but it is about coping with the mental stresses of dungeon delving. <laughs> and the goal is just to survive. Yeah. And on, on paper, I'm like, oh yeah, that's exactly what I've been missing in my life. And then smash cut to two in the morning, and I'm sitting here like I've chewed all my nails off, and I'm I'm just like, no, please God, not my paladin, no. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the first few times I I would play that game, having a great time and like digging the art and loving the the attacks and the yeah. strategy, and that I would narrator. go, oh, oh dude, oh if I yeah, the narrator's great. If I had just made a couple of different choices, none of this would have happened. And then at a certain point, you go. 
oh no, it it doesn't matter what choices yeah, I made. It's the game is you, just gonna it's kick just, me in the nuts. Yeah. yeah, the world sucks. Like yeah. welcome. Yeah, <laughs> welcome. and it's like, you'll, oh well, uh, you'll get through it maybe. At that point, I'm just I'm just not gonna put myself through that anymore. That's yeah. that was yeah. Would you I actually that I, game's trying to beat you, Jeff? Hey yo. Hey yo. Uh, yeah, that, maybe that game is trying to beat me. Maybe. Uh, I really appreciate that game uh, for everything that it does. I think it's just the pol- the polish and the delivery, the atmosphere of that game is fantastic. Like it's it's hard to find a game that is better uh, suited to what it does or what it's trying to do than Darkest mm-hmm. Dungeon. Um, I don't appreciate like the end of that game is just basically hey, invest a bunch more time. Um, you get to the end boss and like no matter even if you win or lose uh some of your your group dies and then you have to do that again multiple times so at that point i was like okay i i'm i'm weird in the fact that i get to a point in video games where i know i can beat the final boss and then i kind of lose interest you know like i'm like i know i could do it if i wanted to but uh yeah i'm not gonna like with Skyrim, I got to a point where like it's like okay, cool, I'm I'm at the final boss, I can beat it, and then I just never went back and finished. <laughs> um, but Darkest Dungeon is really terrible in that. It's like once you get really good at it, you know how to do it, and then it's just a matter of going through the motions to do it. But uh, the the opening hours of that game, even the first twenty hours, I'd say in Darkest Dungeon, are some of just the most uh, sort of edge of your chair, white knuckle kind of experience you can get in a video game. Um, if you haven't tried Darkest Dungeon, definitely check it out. It, it's not for everyone, for sure, but it is something that um, if you're a certain kind of person, like subtext masochist, uh, <laughs> you will you will definitely enjoy that game. Is it out on Switch yet? Uh, you know, I don't know. I know it's coming. They announced it. I'm not yeah. sure if it's... it's a, it is, game. actually. It is out on Switch. Duh, because I played it. Uh, I I usually only play my Switch when I travel, and I I travel quite often. So uh, it is Darkest Dungeon. I actually, I think I played on a flight, and it was if air travel could be any worse, it's with <laughs> Darkest Dungeon. Yeah. yeah. I want someone to make the hey, are the lights a little dim in here? Dungeon. I think I would, I'd enjoy that. Game. Yeah. Like, most hilarious dungeon yeah like, this, is the slider all the way on brightness in this dungeon or is it a yeah. little dim in here it's dusk dungeon <laughs> yeah mildly inconvenient dungeon yeah, yeah. exactly yeah uh i'd play that <laughs> i would too uh i noticed that you put anthem on your list are you still uh-huh. actively playing that um yes to That's a degree great. um yeah. i am at a point now where it's just sort of comfort food uh i really I know, like, holy crap, like, where do you even start to unpack Anthem, right? Like, it has yeah. just been an unfolding story uh, since it was launched, but uh, that game is incredible. Like, just the moment-to-moment gameplay of that, you're basically Iron Man. Like, mm-hmm. if you've ever if you've ever wanted to be Iron Man, like, play Anthem. Every day. Every yeah, day. exactly, I right? Yeah, every day, just play Anthem. Um, I am 100% aware of its shortcomings. And it's faults, and I know a lot of that stems from expectations versus, uh, you know, sort of some of the development practices that seem to have been going on. If people read Jason Schreier's report uh, from Kotaku the other day, it was like eleven thousand words. So yeah. no fault if you didn't. Um, Great article, though. It's fantastic article. That guy is consistently one of the best reporters in the business. Um, For sure. But playing Anthem just feels good and i know what i'm doing and i like it so what i generally started doing is i'll open netflix on one monitor and start watching a documentary and then throw on anthem and 
you know, grind through the tyrant hive or tyrant mind uh, stronghold like two or three or four times, and and it's it's an enjoyable enjoyable little experience it's i i look at playing anthem these days like white noise you know hmm. where it's it's yeah. fun to do while you're doing something else that's cool yeah i'm yeah. glad that game is I, I i'm rooting for that game still i i, I fully well. anticipate a a like big revision sometime down the line where it really becomes the game we all wanted it to be and i think um, it'll get there i think yeah. it'll get there yeah christian spicer what is on your playlist well, it's also a game that punishes. It's it's a a little brighter than Darkest Dungeon, but it's still a very dark castle. Um, Castlevania Bloodlines has been announced as part of the Konami Castlevania collection, along with Kid Dracula, which I'm excited about. Um, it's also one of the games on the Genesis Mini. And then me, if you've been listening the past few weeks, you know I have my analog Mega SG. And Castlevania Bloodlines was one of those games I had when I was younger and then had lost and needed to reacquire and seeing it come out on all these things and me being the person I am, um, I reacquired it. It's also a game I never finished when I was little. It is, and still to this day, in my opinion, a very difficult Castlevania game. So I am working my way through it and um, kind of cheating where I will look up codes for other levels to after I, the way I'm playing it now is if I, after I finish the level, I'm done and I can uh, find a oh, great, I'll play as far as I can. I'm going to die fine. Okay. But then when I start again, I'm going to use my code to get into the next level. And I know that there are, you have your own codes that the game will give you, but I'm getting to the next level with like one life. <laughs> That's not how I'm playing the game anymore. I'm playing the game with every level. I'm starting over again with all seven lives or whatever the max lives I can give myself and options. And here we go. And I still haven't, I still have not um, seen the end credits for it, but man, oh man, I have not played this game in a very long time, probably since it came out whenever that was in in 94, maybe. And I don't know if either of you have played it, but it is gruesome and more gruesome than I remember um, Castlevania four. Is that super Castlevania being where it's like from the get go, there are bodies hung from above with their legs, just like torsos and like a little bit of spine dripping out and blood, just like, dripping down into the levels the backgrounds are all very bright i think especially compared to some of the gba castlevania games where you can see a lot of background detail and just like random blood puddles and horrifying looking werewolves um the um oh what are they what are they called like the the shape of water monsters <laughs> whatever those oh, are. like creature from the black lagoon yeah yeah what are yeah. they called in castlevania oh man Thank you, listener who yelled it at their car while they're driving. That is it. I can't think of it right now. Um, it, it is the game that I thought I could play in front of my kids. Uh, I'm choosing not to because I forgot. Right. Yeah. It, it is, and it's pixel art, 16-bit or whatever. Daddy, is that what ins- is inside of me? Yeah, uh, if I were to low-res it, yes, it is, sweetie. Thanks for asking. Um, Suddenly, a new conversation has to happen. <laughs> yeah, if you were to look like this and look down, due to the loss of blood, it probably would look something like this. Um, <laughs> but it is fascinating, and I think from a uh, you know, as Christian delves into his past because he's getting older, uh, stage of my gaming life. But also, uh, I don't have Mortal Kombat 11 yet. Basically, is what this, <laughs> is what this week was. Um, it's interesting to see kind of this game and kind of the how Castlevania evolved into the GBA games that everybody loved. I believe that Bloodlines is the first game with that composer, and you can feel that in it and how it's scored and the audio. 
And then I think it's interesting to see how they kind of dialed back some of the gore. Like there's like a fountain that I'm pretty sure is, is like just blood splurting everywhere. Um, so I highly recommend it. I, as a guy in his mid thirties, I still find it very difficult. I found it very difficult as a kid in his, you know, young twe- tweens as well. Um, so I kind of changed the rules on how I'm playing it now. Cause I do want to see it through the end. Cause the level design, I hear the last castle is, is pretty incredible. Um, and so, yeah, the the hype of that coming back, there are much cheaper ways for people to play it now than the way I'm playing it. Um, so if you're interested, I think it's easy. Hopefully the emulation is good, but I think that makes the Konami Castlevania collection a, a must pick up as well as um, the mini Genesis whenever it comes out, if the emulation is good. Because it is a fascinating game that I think a lot of Castlevania fans have likely looked over because of when it came out and being the only Castlevania on the Genesis. But I'm really digging it. This is becoming so consistent every week. We're going to have to get a Christian's retro game of the week <laughs> jingle. I mean, that will only help me convince my wife that I need to keep buying more retro games. Well, so. Hey, I'm I'm if I'm only here to convince your wife to spend money. That's my only function. So, What's that uh, kid's book? If you give Christian a jingle, he'll need to buy a game <laughs> to go with it. I think. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you give Christian a jingle. <laughs> Mouse gets a cookie, Moose gets a muffin, Christian gets a jingle. Um, That's great. <laughs> like, I mean, next next week you're going to get listeners <laughs> chiming in. I'm Christian's not opposed. retro corner. <laughs> yeah, there yeah. you go. Um, I have to admit, I have nothing on my playlist. I have been playing uh, an early copy of Days Gone, but I am not allowed to tell you about that. So, I can't. Uh, tune in next week for for that. <laughs> yeah. dun, 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 dun. I have also been extremely busy this week and last week and every time in between prepping a a new show, a Dungeons and Dragons show. We're going to talk mm. in tabletop time about that, but uh, it has taken up a ton of time. Is it an um, SP two game or SP one? Like which one are these? <laughs> it is. Uh, it is a live what? play, live play Dungeons and Dragons game called Dungeon Run. I am the DM. And it will premiere this Wednesday night at 6 p.m. Pacific time on the Caffeine Network, uh, caffeine.tv slash The Dungeon Run. Um, so I'm going to plug that here. I'm, we'll talk about it. Uh, we'll talk more about that in tabletop time. But that's that's my excuse for not having a, 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 a full-on playlist this week. But luckily, listeners have my back. You know, if you ever want to submit your own review, if there's a game that we haven't talked about or haven't talked about n- enough, or you want to chime in on something maybe we are not aware of at all, you can always email us at dlcfeedback at gmail.com and send in your quick reviews. Uh, This one comes from Ryan McLeod. He wants to talk about Grim Dawn. He says, Grim Dawn is an action RPG from Crate Entertainment comprised of developers from Titan Quest. You start by creating a character, but there's no class choice. You enter the world of Cairn, a colonial-era world ravaged by war between two different otherworldly races. You quickly get to pick the first of two masteries, not vastly different from the mage-warrior-rogue archetypes we're used to in these games. At level 10, you pick a second mastery, and the ability to combine these two masteries makes for fantastic build combinations. In the base game, there are six masteries. The Ashes of Malmuth expansion adds two more, and the recently released Forgotten Gods expansion adds a ninth mastery. In addition, there's a devotion system. This is a star map of constellations that you can choose from to customize your character. The star map is identical across classes, offering stat increases and providing celestial powers. These celestial powers proc off your attacks, or when you're attacked, 
and make for cool, flashy abilities on the screen. The game offers a large map with an interesting world, and by exploring and doing side quests, you can easily spend 20 to 30 hours through the base game. As you level up, you gain access to epic and legendary loots, making you feel truly powerful. The end game involves Diablo 2 style farming. You use routes to find particular bosses. There are roguelike dungeons to challenge yourself, where if you die, you can't re-enter the dungeon during that play session. You hit a certain level of hate with a faction. Their nemesis boss will appear on the map. For extra challenge, there are super bosses to really test your abilities. Forgotten Gods also adds the Shattered Realm, a near-endless dungeon like a rift. You can also pick up the Crucible DLC, which is a mode for fighting waves of monsters. At 650 plus hours, this is definitely a game I'm married to. If you're a fan of Diablo looter games, I encourage you to give the base game a try. It goes on sale quite frequently. It's currently PC only, but it's due on Xbox One soon. Happy Easter. Uh, thank you, Ryan. Very cool. Uh, I think I played a little of Grim Dawn right when it was first released, but I, it didn't really get its hooks into me. But that sounds like it kind of hooks into you. 650 hours. Woo! That's a lot of hours. It's <laughs> intense, man. Uh, cool. Yeah. Thank you for your review. And uh, that brings us to a little bit of tabletop time. Right now, right now. Brandon, I am very pleased to have you on, especially this week as I'm gearing up for my new Dungeons and Dragons show, Dungeon Run, as the DM, because I know you are an avid dungeon master yourself i am yeah i'm i'm actually really excited to hear about your show i i had no idea and i'll, I'll definitely be tuning in well thank you i appreciate that it, it, it's just been announced just announced on saturday so it uh it, there's a very short you know lead in yeah hype time <laughs> so hopefully people <laughs> right. tune in hopefully if you're listening to this you give it a shot um but before we even get to Dungeons and Dragons, I'm so interested to hear you talk about 10 candles oh this I'm is a so game glad. that i've heard so much about Rob Davio, friend of the show, Rob Davio has talked about it a bunch of times. Yeah. Uh, uh, this sounds really, really cool. It's had a, like a one-shot role-playing horror game, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's it's not uh, – when we think of horror, we think generally survival horror, right? Like there are creepy crawlies in the dark, and you and your intrepid friends must survive and get to the end unscathed. Um, Ten Candles is not that. Uh, Ten Candles – is I, I think it bills itself as something called tragedy horror, which <laughs> is uh, oppressive from the onset for sure. Um, but it starts out with a very simple premise, which is the sun is gone, the, the sky is gone, there are no stars, there's no moon, there's no sun, the world is is sort of cloaked in this blackness. And at the end of the game, everyone is going to die. No matter what you do, everyone will die by the game's end. And the game is played uh, by the light of 10 candles. And I actually ran this last week for my uh, D&D crew. Um, we had a couple players out, so I wanted to, to try this. And it was, it was so interesting. I can't even begin to describe sort of this, the experience you get with this game. Um, Wait, I just, before you go on, you, um, yeah. you, you literally light 10 actual candles, right? Literally, yeah. The game is and played in – it recommends pitch black. And the game is played by the light of 10 candles, which there's there's a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, sort of fudging that needs to go on because you do still write down stuff. So it's hard to read a little bit. Um, <laughs> 10 write, candles and one iPhone flashlight. Ex exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, like short 20 second bursts of 
overhead light when you turn on the kitchen lights to uh to read exactly what you wrote but yes i uh i went to target and bought a pack of tea light candles super cheap um you get and they also like it that's also the timer for the game right yes, as they burn yeah. out things happen right correct yeah so each each the game is played by it's a cooperative storytelling game so it's not there are no there are die rolls but it's not like dungeons and dragons where you're rolling to hit or or fighting monsters or or what have you um, in a traditional mechanical sense, it's all narrative based. So as there's one GM and I think it's four to five players as well. Um, and you guys all sort of take turns telling this story and each scene of the game is tied to one of the candles. So as you're going through the game, you're like, okay, um, we're at the police station. I need to, I know the armory is on the other side of this door. I need to get to it. Um, and you're like, okay, hey, that sounds like a great opportunity for a conflict. And so you roll dice uh, to determine whether you were successful. And if you're successful, you get to narrate what happens, your character. So Jeff rolls to try to get into the armory. He succeeds. And then Jeff narrates that he kicks the door in like a Rambo and puts his mitts on a machine gun and blasts away the monster careening down the hallway. Um, if you fail, that scene has failed. You blow out a candle and you move on to the next scene with appropriate consequences. Um, and as the game goes, the, the guy running, the, the, the game master, uh, the odds are sort of stacked in his favor or her favor to take more and more narrative control of what happens. So you're not necessarily fighting each other. You're all working together to just uh, tell the story of how you spent the last hours on, of, of your life um, trying to make a difference, you know? Um, and so it, ine it inevitably comes down to the conclusion where there's one candle, one player is left alive. And, uh, you know, through this storytelling, uh, experience, you resolve whatever the final conflict is, you extinguish the last candle, everything goes black. And then the, the, the kicker here is that at the beginning of the game, you all recorded voice messages, uh, to be played. Uh, in character once you die and so once it's completely pitch black these voice messages come off with characters uh that you've spent the last two hours inhabiting and it, it's really just this it's really like it hits you right in the chest this game wow. it's a it's a really interesting experience i recommend doing it with people you are you you trust the, the people who are friends who will pick up the things that you throw down or or roll with it um it's why it's such a great natural progression outside of Dungeons and Dragons because, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, you can role play or you, you don't have to if you don't want to. But this game, once you sort of exercise that muscle, and it is very much a muscle that you can exercise, sort of inhabiting the body of somebody else and, and role playing, um, it is an experience that I've never really had before I played 10 Candles. And it's, it's harrowing. By the end of it, like there were some people who were a little shaken up, you know, and, and it's, it's a really cool experience, you know, tipped off by the fact that you literally burn aspects of your character away as you play the game. So you use, yeah, you're like setting fire to the characters yeah, and stuff, right? Yeah. Each character has a virtue and a vice and you can, you can use like your virtue is I am steadfast. So you fail an encounter, but you're like, Hey, I want to use my stead, my steadfast virtue. And you'd use that to reroll some of the failed dice that, that you accumulated. And then you burn that virtue in a flammable safe container in the center of the table. Uh, and sort of there's this, this really great metaphorical like burst of light as that happens. Um, and, and you 
sort of see the expression on the other player's face as as you're burning away an aspect of yourself. It's such a cool it's such a cool game. Um, if you at all are interested in sort of uh, cooperative storytelling, or you have friends uh, who you think you know you could you could create a cool world with, uh, you should definitely check it out. It's also really cheap. I think it's like thirty bucks. Um, yeah. And they'll they'll send you a PDF and uh, an actual soft cover version of it as well. Um, and yeah, then outside of that, it's just I used a metal bowl from <laughs> my girlfriend wasn't super happy, but she, I used I used one of our metal mixing bowls and and I lit some candles that I got at Target for very cheap, and it was a really cool evening. Yeah, you guys, I, I really recommend Ten Candles. It's, it's Christian, a, we got to do this, fun. right? That sounds awesome. Yeah, it sounds like the type of thing that. Uh, afterward, I, I wrestle with like, that was fun. And oh my God, why do I feel bad? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, it's similar to Darkest Dungeon, right? Yeah. Where it's it a very enjoyable experience, yet it's not super enjoyable. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, it seems so brilliant the way they have captured the inherent drama and sort of emotional impact that just sitting in the dark with people around candles brings. Yeah. And the idea, the, the sort of dramatic tension of blowing out a candle and what that what that has represented throughout time for humans, it sort of all plays into adding stakes and adding weight to, to your actions inside this fictional context. It just, it's a, it's a brilliant idea. And I'm absolutely game game design is, is fickle. Like it's, it's hard to do well. Um, And I always think the best video games are games that marry the mechanical and narrative sort of symbolism together. And 10 candles hits it just, perfectly out of the park it is so succinct and and concise with the rule set and the atmosphere of your mechanics are literally creating atmosphere as well as you play through it um it's it's sort of unlike anything else i've ever played have you played have you played fiasco i haven't actually so that's what that's on my list but i haven't i've heard great things though it's great. It really is good, but it is very dependent on the group that you're playing with. Uh, and I feel like I'm just sensing from the way you describe it that this probably still is dependent on the group, but benefits from all those things of, of just the the setting informing the tone. Like fiasco is easy to undermine and be, you know, instead of not take seriously because you're just sitting around with right. three by five cards. But uh the, you know, this just the sort of the very nature of what it's like to sit for multiple hours in a darkened room by candlelight. I feel like it forces people to be a little more in it. Yeah, it really does like take you out of your comfort zone. You can you can wax poetic about how like, well, I understand that we're playing a game, but just human nature when you're in that environment, it's like you might not believe in ghosts or what have you, but when you're doing a uh, sort of tour of the underbelly of some city or something or you go to alcatraz and you're checking that out there's a right. there's an energy in that room you know totally um, yeah and you can you can sort of recapture that during 10 candles like this as, as well and and it, it when you start 10 candles it's a different experience from like hour one 10 candles because that hour sitting by candlelight listening to the terrible things going on in every direction and you're slowly uh, extinguishing your basically life counter as candles go out it changes you uh and it changes you in a good way um it it, it sort of forces you to get back in the back into the thick of things and um you know i i i dungeon master for 
a variety of different groups uh, for D&D. And some of them are more attuned with role-playing than others. You know, it's, it's sort of like whatever your level of comfort is, is great. Just just bring, you know, a positive attitude and we can do this. With 10 Candles, by the end of the game, everyone is in character, which is hard. It's not something that comes naturally to people who aren't used to role-playing games. Right. Yeah. Very, very cool. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Dungeons & Dragons because... Oh, I've had it on my mind uh, like crazy. It's like this program that's been running in the background just constantly, constantly, constantly over the last several weeks as I gear up uh, for this campaign. And I've because it's just been constantly going there in my head, I've been comparing it to everything else and video games especially. And, you know, we, we talked at the beginning of the show about a new console generation and what added power can bring. And the thing that it that video games never seem to approach uh, – even as AI gets more sophisticated in lots of other technological areas is, is the thing that makes Dungeons and Dragons so magical is the, the sort of free form improvisational nature of it where you can choose to try anything. And because we're all, we've all entered into this magic circle of agreement that, you know, there's going, we're, we're playing by these rules and we're all living inside the fiction of this universe. We're, you know, where what you say is what we do uh, I, I long for the days where we have a holodeck and I can go in and interact with, you know, Sherlock Holmes and whatever I say he reacts to and yeah. normally or whatever. But until then we have, you know, we have tabletop, we have these role-playing games like Dungeons and Dragons. And, uh, that's, what's been so fun over the last several weeks is trying to anticipate directions that the, my players will take the game and trying to think out all the different tendrils of story and think out all the different nooks and crannies of the world that they might be curious about. And I'll have to fill in and you can never do it enough, right? You always right. have to sort of pull exactly. things out of your butt as you go. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's such a creative explosion as, as dungeon master and, and such a creative, um, a thrilling creative experience playing with the players and seeing how their ideas mix with your ideas and you create something that's grander than the some of its parts um but i'm I'm talking in highfalutin terms but tell me about what draws you to dungeons and dragons uh well i I mean you pretty much nailed it like it, it is that it is um a game that is not constrained by technical limitations if that makes sense, right. uh, it, it is literally anything can happen in that game. And oftentimes it does. And like you said, there's no amount of planning uh, that you can do. I mean, I, I've written 60 page campaign adventures and I'm like, okay, I think I got a pretty good linear story beat here, some sandbox stuff. They can really flex their muscles if they want to. And then you get into a game and one of your players is like, yeah, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm going to go. I'm going to go see what that person over there is doing. And you're like, Oh, that person uh, is that person is named Kevin. Yes. Kevin <laughs> has many yeah. things that he is willing to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, the so thing where you make the mistake of making someone you don't care about too interesting. You walk up and they, there's a, you know, there's a, uh, a cheesemonger who just there to sell some cheese and they're like, Hey, <laughs> cheesemonger, are you doing okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Well, what's going on? Well, you know, I'm sad about my wife. Ooh, tell us about your wife. Exactly. Like, oh, why did I say that? You know, <laughs> I made a I made a waitress, a server in one of the taverns, have a scar on her face just just for flavor because yeah. this is a rough world. 
And now you're doing the, the quest of the scar. Four hours later, they <laughs> yeah. were like, all right, so really, we're going to get to the bottom of whatever this this <laughs> bad person is who did yeah. this to you. I'm like, guys, there's a literal dragon like over the hill. What do you – The quest uh, of the waitress's scar. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that's, that's not a bad title. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so like inevitably, I am consistently surprised by – just sort of the the little the little uh, bits of story and intrigue that uh, my players pick up, and it forces you to sort of you know flex that muscle that on the fly. If you ever want to see somebody panic, don't go to the DMV. Like watch a watch a dungeon master <laughs> who oh, is trying to set a story, and his players decides that they want to go see what's in the basement of a house that you haven't thought about yet. Right. You know, yeah. Um, I I genuinely believe. Uh, I know it's on the book, so it might be a little. It might be a little shilly, but I genuinely believe that Dungeons and Dragons is the greatest role-playing game ever made. Um, and no matter what you want from it, you can get it. You know, if you watch Critical Role and you know they are a very uh, sort of role-playing actor-heavy experience, um, and you know, there's a lot of different thoughts about like what is a real Dungeons and Dragons games. The truth is, the real Dungeons and Dragons games is is the adventure we had along the way. You know, it's it's whatever <laughs> yeah. you want it to be. If you if you want to just throw waves of kobolds and gnolls and goblins at your party and have them wade through uh bodies of and, and split skulls and and that's a, that's totally valid. If you want to wax heavy poetic about the scar on the waitress's face, you can do that too, you know? It is it is it is really accommodating for every kind of player and you can tell you can tell interactive stories that really just you don't find anywhere else because you're creating them with a group of friends. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It really is. Uh, you know, there's, we could do a whole podcast on, yeah, on we really on could. <laughs> and, and just what, what just a sort of a rule set does, you know, just having the framework for something that allows that empowers invention and really what human beings are so good at, which is, telling stories, telling stories about themselves, telling stories with other people. Um, so I'm, I'm very excited about it. I'm also terrified for all the reasons that oh, we've already for sure. Yeah. It's like, you know, you just, I, I am a person that feels most comfortable when I am best prepared and mm -hmm. there's no way to prepare enough. You just have to leap off the cliff and uh, hope that it all. And, and the most fun stuff is when you know, you do something that, you didn't plan for. So yeah. I don't know why I'm so scared, but I, someone is. in your party decides everyone's going to be cows or something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. A hundred percent. I feel you there. And like, I, I don't know what kind of DM you are or whatever, but as soon as you said, Oh, I'm starting an actual plays uh, show. I was like, well, that's good. Luck, good luck with that. Uh, it's going to be a blast, but it's also, you know, you really, it's, you re it's a baptism by fire because as you said, like Dungeons and Dragons has an exhaustive rule set. There are more rules in D&D &D than maybe any other game I've ever played. You, you, It's like a buffet. You pick which ones you want to use and you roll with it. Like It's yeah. your game. You can do whatever you want. Um, and so you're right when you say there's no amount of preparing that will get you there. But by the end of the experience, as long as everyone has fun, like that's that's what it's about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and. I've never been a letter of the law guy with, yeah. with as a DM. I've always been, you know, what leads to the most fun, uh, what leads to the most uh, joyous experience. And it will be different having people watching mm -hmm. you know, who are like, that is not how you do that. As I don't really care. I just 
care that the people at the table are engaged and exercising their imaginations. And that's, you know, we're all telling the story together, but yeah, it'll be, that is, that is one of the nerve wracking things is having, uh, having people watch. I've, I've done DM'd plenty of times. I've never had anybody sit in the sidelines and go, Hmm, I don't yeah. know about that. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually an experience I've never had either. Like I've, yeah. I've DM'd for years and I don't know what happens when you bring an audience into it. Does it change the dynamic? I mean, like, it's like just a, when you go, Oh, I'm sorry. You wanted to go to that castle. It's outside the invisible wall. You can't see <laughs> yeah. um, these, these hills are unscalable. They were put by the devs. There's nothing past yeah. them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can't see beyond the draw distance in the theater of the <laughs> <Right>. mind. <laughs> <laughs> the fog of war has set in. <laughs> and it will never go away. <laughs> you glitched through the floor and now you're falling. Yeah. Uh, anyway, well, uh, man, I, I love talking about that with you and uh, it's a shared passion and that's, that's exciting. So I, well, I'd love to have you back and we can even go deeper after I've been going on the show for a while and I could go, it was all a mistake. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> it would be my pleasure. Yeah. It's, this is a subject that, that is really near and dear to my heart. Awesome. All right. Well, that seems like a good place to wrap up the show. We do have parting gifts coming up, so stick around for those. But uh, Brandon Tyrell, thank you so much for being here, sir. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast, guys. I appreciate awesome. it. Awesome. Glad to hear that. Tell the folks where they can keep up with you and all your goings on online. Yeah. So I uh, I work for IGN. You can find all video game goodness at IGN.com. You can also find me personally on Twitter. My handle is just my name, at Brandon Tyrell. B-R-A-N-D-I-N-T-Y-R-R-E-L. Some weird spelling in both of those, but I believe in you. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, outside of that, just, uh, you know, thanks for uh, thanks for checking out all the stuff that we do. Awesome. Christian Spicer, what do you got going on this week? I'm going to be in Memphis this week, um, volunteering and, and touring again uh, with St. Jude. Um, if you listen to the show for a while, you know that I am big fans of theirs and um, do fundraising for them and try to raise money and i love the way that they've invested in the gaming community and they recognize the the great things that gaming can can bring to um people going through hard times and times that are um you know hard for for many of us to to understand and i love the way saint jude um takes care of the whole family and i love their mission and everything about them so i'll be there uh this week and this will be i will say it many times i'm sure between now and the end of the year but if you're looking for um a charity to support or an initiative to get behind check them out um it's helping sick kids beat cancer it's it's um i think it's hard to be more couldn't be better couldn't be more uh, worthwhile yes yeah and their their love of video games um really shines and, and shows as well uh yeah so that's the that's the that's the big thing for this week and then twitter at spicer maybe it's like i won't be tweeting much it's like here's a picture of me crying because i'm sad and here's a picture of me crying because i'm happy like i don't (laughs) i don't picture a lot of social for me this week (laughs) well you can follow me on twitter i'm at jeff canada which is spelled with two n's and one t and you can email this show at dlcfeedback at gmail.com we love hearing from you any comments questions Anything you want to contribute to the show, we appreciate. Um, I also do a movie and TV show podcast called The Slash Filmcast. This is a big week for us. We are doing our annual summer movie wager. It's the it's big. It's big. I think this is year twelve. You've I never lost, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I haven't won in a while. I won twice, but it's been years and years since I won. So this is going to be it. This is the year where I come come. Correct. I'm going to take down that evil Dave Chen and get my title back. Um, but a very fun episode. We'll have special guests and we'll be trying to pick in order 
the top 10 movies of the summer based on domestic box office. So uh, always fun to see how bad we are at that. Uh, we can find that at slash filmcast.com or wherever you get podcasts. Uh, also, I may have mentioned it once or twice, but I'm doing a Dungeons and Dragons show called Dungeon Run. Uh, premieres on Wednesday at caffeine.tv slash the Dungeon Run. Uh, it will also, I should mention, also be on YouTube and as an audio podcast if you miss the live stream. But I hope you tune into the live stream because I can use friendly support for sure. Uh, and people in the live stream get to influence things, right? Like you want to be true. on the live stream because, you know, we heard how the stress you're already feeling. Like, let's add to that. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be an interesting – we've uh, added – because caffeine is all real time, they've added some interesting ways to uh, – influence what's happening or make your decision heard. Yeah, That's a be, cool idea. That's a really cool idea. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm abjectly terrified. Of I'm, it, but yeah, it I'm is, terrified for you. <laughs> uh, I don't know how the real thing's going to go, but I know some secrets uh, for some of the stuff you've been working on, Jeff, and I cannot recommend people check this out enough. It sounds incredible in the world. You're, I'm going to say building. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it I mean I not to overstate it, but uh Christian has helped me uh sort of beat out some story elements and I, this is all homebrew. This is a completely homebrew world. I've commissioned a map by friend of the show JP Kuvert. Uh the map is insane. It's gorgeous. We're building it all from scratch. The I mean we're using the the structure of Dungeons and Dragons, but everything, all the histories and cultures and stuff is all made up. And uh, I'm really super excited. We have a cool cast of some really, really inventive, interesting characters. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be a blast, I think. And and there's an animatronic puppet. I'll just leave that there. So you tune in. See how it, see how it works. Um, but, uh, okay, so let's, <laughs> let's wrap the show up with our parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion. feel like I buried the lead on the animatronic puppet thing a little bit, but I probably should have led with that. That's a, but, uh, Brandon, uh, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? Oh, wow. Uh, so I'm coming in a little light, but there's this, there's this show that you guys might've heard called game of Thrones. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's this little, it's this really kind of indie thing about a fantasy world, geopolitical kind of, uh, no, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm wrapped up in game of Thrones right now. I, I think the the next episode kicks off in about two hours right now. Yeah, so I'm we've very... literally changed our recording time of the show. To <laughs> and I, for it. I, I saw in your email. I appreciate that. Um, outside of that, uh, you know, if you're looking for something a little lighter, I always recommend Brooklyn Nine Nine to people. I think it's one of the best comedies out there right now. Um, but yeah, just sort of between work and and those sort of staples of television for me, that's what I've got going. on. Very cool, Christian Spicer. You got a parting gift. Yeah, I went to a, a screening. I guess it's in limited LA, New York, and I think it goes VOD maybe later this month or maybe this week of um, David Robert Mitchell's new film, Under the Silver Lake. It's starring Andrew Garfield. Uh, David Robert Mitchell was the director of It Follows, a horror movie that I adored for its visual style and its sense of dread while really? not, yeah, not relying on jump scares and, and what it did. This is his follow-up to that. It is not a horror film. It, it has some scary moments in it. Um, and I can't, I don't know if it's great, but I can't stop thinking about it. It is complex. And I think ultimately what um, 
David Robert Mitchell is saying in it is is fascinating. And I think it's a type of film that I think could stand the test of time as this kind of cult niche film, like a Donnie Darko or something that like kind of comes out. Critics don't necessarily know what to do with it. And then people keep talking about it or thinking about it. It's, it's larger point and message. I think Andrew Garfield is fantastic in it. Um, and I, I was at a Q and a with Andrew and, and David and David said, I, I don't think this spoils the movie in any way, shape or form, but David talked about his love of old Lucas art adventure games and um, how he was thinking a lot about those after it follows and, and what he wanted to make next. And I was like, okay, I'm on board. Uh, you got me. <laughs> you got me. I love those games. Um, so it's called under the silver Lake. I will not promise you'll like it. Uh, I will not even promise that it's good, but it is <laughs> fascinating and it is beautiful. And sometimes, you know, that's more than enough. Oh, and he ha- he had a he has a message. It was a film he wanted to make. That he wanted to put out there into the world because he thought this art needed to exist. And I love and respect that so much. So uh, check it out and let's uh, let me know what you think. Under the Silver Lake. I'm dying to see it. it. It was one of those movies that was talked about a lot, I think, after Sundance or. I think it was Con 2018. And then it kind of was in this release date limbo. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I loved it. Follows. That movie's awesome. Uh, we have a listener suggested parting gift. This was sent in to DLC feedback at gmail.com by um, Michael Nusser. Uh, Michael says, uh, I got a parting gift that I've discovered recently and that has kind of changed my life. I'm only being slightly hyperbolic when I say that. It's an app called Pocket. You can use it to save articles from anywhere online to read later. It downloads them to your phone so you can read them even when you're offline. It also remembers where you are in an article, even if you're reading multiple at a time. I used this app to read Jason Schreier's fascinating article on Anthem that you guys discussed recently and brought up again today. Uh, I doubt that I would have had the patience to sit at my computer for an hour and read it that way, but the ability to read it in chunks over a couple of days made it very easy to get through. The app also makes it easy to discover interesting and informative articles I probably wouldn't have read otherwise. So I feel like I'm learning a lot which is nice. Anyway, keep up the good work. Thanks for continuing to be the best video game podcast out there. Oh, thanks, Michael. Very, very cool. That's Pocket, the app Pocket. My parting gift is a book. Um, It is Blake Harris's newest book, The History of the Future, Oculus, Facebook, and the Revolution that Swept Virtual Reality. Of course, you know I'm a VR nut. uh, And it's been fascinating reading Blake's very comprehensive, well-researched, and just amazing account author of console wars if people yes. put it together yes uh, blake harris is also the author of console wars which christian was uh raving about for for weeks uh blake is if all things go well will be our guest next week on the show so look forward to that um so i'm i'm excited to read uh, you know have have read this book and i can recommend it heartily it is uh really interesting lots of stuff i didn't know some stuff i did know but lots i didn't know and um really uh i think as VR becomes, you know, I think what I think it's going to become, I think this is going to be a wonderful history of, of the, the origin of how that all came about a messy and weird and, and unlikely, but, but fascinating. So history of the future, I highly recommend it. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to uh, Brenda Tyrell and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for making all the cool bumpers you heard. Uh, Thank you to all of you who listen to the show and download it. We appreciate it. We'll be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.